Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Ted Fayton, the host of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast here. Just wanted to give you a heads up that this episode includes some explicit words in the delivery of the message. With that being said, I still think it's a message worth sharing. I hope you enjoy the episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have you. And big shout out to my executive producer, Andre Suttles with Subtle Solution Media for helping to make this podcast possible. I'm excited to have on the call today, speaker, empowerment coach, and author, Charlene Madden, joining us out of British Columbia. Charlene, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And as always, I like to make sure that I allow my guests to kind of introduce themselves in their own words about kind of a little bit about their journey, where they're from, what they do now. And then we can kind of just jump into really diving deep in, into the story, into the topic. Yeah. As you said, I live in British Columbia, Canada. So I'm kind of right in the middle of the Rocky Mountains and the Selkirk Mountains. So it's absolutely paradise where I live. <laughs> I am a mom of three amazing children. I am a wife. I am a women's empowerment coach. I am an author and I am a Reiki practitioner. So I spend my days sending healing love out to the world. Yeah. And it's amazing because a lot of times I know some of the practice and the purpose that we find ourselves in come from our personal journey and in the work that you do with empowering women and healing. It does come from some personal experiences along the way. If you would tell us a little bit about some of those those experiences early on and how that kind of helped shape who you are today in some of the work that you do. Yeah, my desire for healing and not just my world, but the world around me really started when I was a child. At the age of three and a half, my parents had separated. My dad was a very severe alcoholic and he was physically abusive to my half-brother's. And um, my mom had to make a really difficult decision of stay, go, only take my brothers and leave my sister and I behind, which she had to make that decision because if she would have stayed, my father probably would have killed one of my brothers. She left. Um, My dad was in no shape to look after two little girls. So we went to live with my grandparents. My grandmother like absolutely was bring the kids on, you know, we'll take care of them. And she was such an amazing, strong force in my world. She believed that women should be strong, independent, make their own money, not depend on men. And I always say I learned that lesson probably a little too well, but, and my grandfather, unfortunately, was a pedophile. So at the age of three and a half, my sister and I started experiencing sexual abuse at his hands. And this actually went on for nine years And um, when I was 12 and a half, my sister was 16. She basically went to school one day and had a nervous breakdown because at 16, she was terrified she was going to become impregnated by my grandfather. And she wanted desperately to leave, but she knew if she left, then the full force of the abuse would be turned on to me. And she didn't want that to happen. So she went to school. Everything came out. Um, My grandfather was arrested my grandparents divorced and that one family that I knew kind of just shattered apart. And we're talking back in the mid eighties. So there really wasn't any counseling or anything along that line. 
And I just remember sitting across the desk from a social worker and she kind of got up and kind of came behind me and patted me on the back and said, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. And I'm thinking I'm 12 and a half. I already don't know what okay feels like. Yeah. And I go into high school with this feeling of not knowing what okay is supposed to feel like. And it leads to um, starting to suffer from mental illness and being suicidal. I didn't feel like I belonged in the world. If I could, you just said something I wanted to kind of maybe expand on a little bit because you mentioned, Mm. you know, the divorce happened and, and, you know, the family you knew shattered. As imperfect as that was, it still sounds like the arrest of your grandfather and that whole divorce had a negative impact on you, almost like regardless of what the situation, there was a, I guess, I don't want to say comfort, but maybe a familiarity with how things were. And it, it was kind of, cause it was just a jarring to hear, like, you know, the family you knew was no longer, what was that like realization? Like, I guess now in hindsight, looking at that at 12 years old, what you were feeling. Yeah. I think as a child, just being, you know, growing up feeling like, you know, my parents didn't want me. I so desperately just wanted to belong and be part of a family. And, you know, even as dysfunctional as my grandparents was not family was, it still felt like a family and to see that fall apart. And of course I grew up in a small town. So it was like, everybody knew what had happened and, you know, kids talk. So they're repeating things that parents are saying and, and they're talking about, you know, we were troubled kids. So we were caught, what we were saying was just trying to cause trouble. And it just added the shame that was on top of my sister and I, was just enormous at that time. Uh, you know, you almost wished um, not that, you know, I would ever want to go back to that abuse, but the comfort and as you were saying, the familiarity of that environment was it a constant I needed at that time because I hadn't felt any stability already in such a young life. Yeah. And so. that, and you mentioned that uh, I felt bad to interrupt, but, but mm-hmm. so that leads into high school where mm-hmm. you say the mental illness starts taking hold. Yeah. I started getting severely depressed. I started cutting as a way of just purging the emotional pain because it was just, I needed an outlet. And at the time that physical pain was the only outlet that I had. Luckily I found writing and I started to write and I always said I poured blood or ink onto paper rather than blood because at the times it was usually one, one option or the other. But of course, my writing was very dark and depressing and suicidal, so garnered some attention. And I remember getting taken into the guidance counselor's office to meet with a school psychologist who spent four hours doing assessments and questionnaires and talking. And of course, that's the last thing I really wanted to do. And at the end of the four hours, it's just her and I sitting in the room and she says, well, I want you to know we're diagnosing you as bipolar manic depressive. And I'm like 15 and I have no clue what that means other than now I'm crazy on top of everything else. So it just felt like even more shame and more spotlight on the brokenness that I already felt. And all I could think of was, you know, as she's sitting across the desk saying to me, but I want you to know you're going to be okay. Hmm. And I'm like, here we are. I've got another adult telling me I'm going to be okay when, again, I don't feel okay. I don't even know what that looks like. And all I could think of was, you know, because she said, just if you need to talk, book an appointment, come back, we'll talk. And that was the last thing I wanted to do at that time. I just wanted to bury my head in the sand 
And, you know, my grandmother had been very much the, you know, put your head down, just get through life. We won't worry about what happened. And that's all I could think of was just getting through and getting out of school so that I could move away and everything would be different. And so I did. I graduated high school and I moved away. I moved to a bigger city where I thought I could just blend in and be a face in the crowd where no no one knew who I was. I had moved with my high school sweetheart and I ended up, we ended up getting married and having three beautiful kids. But with each child, I thought the hole inside me would get fixed. I thought it would be someone who would love me unconditionally and I would be okay But the fact was, I wasn't doing any of the work to become okay. So at the age of 28, as I am sitting at home going, I don't want to be here anymore. I was again, fantasizing about committing suicide. And I was terrified that my children were going to come home from school and find me dead. Mm -hmm. So I sat down with my husband and said, I need to leave the house. I'm not fit to parent, let alone, I can't take after myself, let alone parent. And at this point, our marriage was pretty much gone anyway. So he was like, okay, yeah, it sounds great. And I moved thinking I would work on my issues. But of course, all I did was continue to go into my coping mechanism, which was drinking. Mm-hmm. And I was now dealing with the guilt of leaving my children like my parents had done to me. So the guilt and the shame was just piling up. Month after I left my husband, I jumped into another relationship because I was just desperate for someone to want me, to love me, to validate me, to make me feel like I deserve to be on that planet. And when they say like attracts like, they are very correct because that relationship was, um, he was very dysfunctional. He suffered from mental illness struggles. He was an alcoholic. I didn't know it at the time, but he was a drug addict on top of it. And he was violent when he drank. So very quickly into the relationship, I started experiencing domestic violence and it fit the pattern of what I thought I deserved. I had so much guilt and shame for leaving my kids that I felt it was what I deserved. I deserved to hurt because I had hurt my kids. And about two years into this relationship after really extreme night, I was sitting on my living room floor after he had abused me and left. And I thought, I can't live like this anymore. This is no way to live. And I went up and I grabbed all the medication pills, sleeping pills, pain pills out of my uh, medicine cabinet. And I took them all and then sat down to write my goodbye letter to my children. And if you've ever done that, it's a horrific experience. I hope no one's ever had to go through it, but it did save my life because as I was trying to justify leaving my kids, I realized I couldn't abandon them in that final way. So I made a call, took a cab to the emergency room, was sitting at the admissions desk telling them that I had just over, I'm overdosing and I collapsed. And when I woke up, I had tubes down my throat and my partner sitting next to me crying, saying how sorry he was. What was it about that letter that, that you think changed your mind when you said you couldn't leave like that? It just broke my heart because I didn't know what was going to happen to my kids. Their dad was not on a good life purpose and path himself. And I thought if I leave, I felt like I was the only one as dysfunctional as I was that really cared about their best interests. And if I was gone, who was going to look after them? Yeah. What would you tell? And I want to get to to what happens after, but what would you tell your 18 years year old self or your, your teenage self in this process before going through all this? What would you, you know, 
wish you can kind of come through the the t- space time continuum and just say a few words. Yeah, I would tell myself number one that my own love is the most important love. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or feels about you. That you're worthy. Uh, you deserve to be loved, and that you don't need anyone else to validate you or prove that you deserve to exist on that planet because I didn't feel it at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if I could just go back and and develop that sense of self-love that I have now, if I could do it, you know, 22, 25 <laughs> years ago, 28 years ago, it would be completely different. So, yeah. So waking up in the hospital, what happens then for you and, and the shift that ends up happening after that? Mm-hmm. I get discharged from the hospital the next day and I get a phone call from my mom who had been notified that I was in the hospital. And she says, I think you need to pack up and move across the country and come live with us, bring the kids. We'll help you get settled, get on your feet. And we'll just help you get your life turned around. And it fit into my pattern of running. It was like, yeah, of course, like, let's just move because that's going to solve all our problems, even though I wasn't doing any of the work. And so I did. I packed my kids up. I moved across the country and moved in with my parents. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, it would have been an ideal situation if I would have been doing some work along the way to heal. But being with my mom, I think, triggered some of my dysfunction because I related so much of the trauma of my past to my mom. Mm -hmm. And there was some tension and some resentment there. And just six months after I moved, My partner that I had been with in Ontario decided he was going to move out as well with the promises that life was going to be different, that he was changed. He loved me. He wanted to be with me. And of course, I sucked right into that because that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And he moved out and we spent another 10 years of dysfunction and violence and alcoholism and just complete chaos in in both of our lives, really. And it was 2014, July of 2014, he came home one evening and said he was leaving. He was moving in with someone else. And I was crushed. I thought, here we are. I've just been abandoned once again. Yeah. And he moved out. And I thought, okay, now's my opportunity to really, you know, turn my life around and get things, you know, back together. And I was working slowly away on that. And about two and a half months after he had moved out, a police officer walked into my place of work and asked to talk to me outside. Now, this was an officer who had been involved in one of our previous domestic disputes, so he knew where to find me. And he took me outside and he said, Charlene, I just want you to know, I just came on shift and I saw a notice that your ex-partner has committed suicide. Oh, man. And I just feel my world collapsing in on me at that point. I think I'd still harbored a, a hope in my heart that we would be able to, you know, get back together, that I would be enough for him to turn his life around. And now I was going to have to go tell my children who as dysfunctional as their life had been, he had been their stepdad for 13 years. Yeah. I had to tell them that he was dead. So now I'm just trying to, you know, do what I always do. Just put on that mask of I'm okay. And about two weeks after his death, I was sitting with a good friend and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not okay. I'm really angry. And she's like, yeah, of course. Anger is one of the stages of grief that you go through. And I said, no, I'm not angry. He took his own life. I'm angry. He did it first Mm. because now I see 
everything that's left behind. I see the pieces that people have to pick up. I see the chaos of the lives, you know, of these people. How do I do that to someone I love? And I wanted so desperately to do it. Yeah. And I just, you know, tried to keep existing, throwing myself into work, staying busy, but all the while just sinking down deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, after an evening episode where I knew I was so very close to to ending it, I thought, okay, I'm going to go see a psychiatrist. And, you know, I three sessions in and I'm the type of person I I'm, don't have a lot of patience. So I'm like, okay, I know why I messed up. Just tell me what I need to do. Give me a list of this, 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 this. Mm-hmm. So I can fix myself because I know why I'm broken. <laughs> let me save you 45 minutes, doc. Cause I know. Yeah, I have an hour. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like, come on, let's go. And I said, how did you fix your mental health and your struggles? And her eyes kind of glazed over and she's like, I've never experienced mental health issues. And I thought, then how can you possibly relate to me? How can you tell me you understand what I'm going through when you've never been there yourself? You've never been in the dark. So you don't understand what it's like to sit there. Mm -hmm. And I kind of made that decision when I walked out of that day that that was it. I was done. I felt I can't even get help when I'm trying to get help. I had received a life insurance policy from my ex-partner passing and I had made a decision. I was buying a house and my psychiatrist was so excited for me because I was making plans for the future and people that are going to kill themselves don't make plans for the future, according to her. But what I was doing was I was making plans to leave a legacy for my children. I was trying to set them up financially so that when I was gone, because that's all I felt I had to offer them was financial stability. And I set a date for a month after that to end my life. So about two weeks before the date I had set, a coworker of mine came up and said, hey, there's this women's workshop. Would you like to come with me? And I was like, oh, no, like uh-uh, the last thing I want to go do. And she's like, please, I really want to go, but I don't want to go alone. And I was like, oh, there's my kryptonite, right? Because I always cared about everybody else more than myself. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, she really needs to go to this event. I'll go with her. Not even thinking how much I needed it. I you know, was thinking about her. So I pulled into the parking lot the Saturday morning of the event. And I had set the date. My date was the Monday morning. So two days from that date, yeah. I had my hunting rifle in the backseat of my my car. I had this stick I was going to use to pull the trigger so that I made sure the gun didn't shift and all of this. And I walked into that room at that workshop and I immediately felt sick to my stomach because I felt I didn't belong there. I'm looking at a room full of women that seemed like they had it all together. They're all excited, chatting away about making plans for the future. And it felt like a spotlight had been shone on me like as if, hey, look, here's an imposter, you know, here's this person who doesn't belong. And I felt, wow, like this just shows I don't belong anywhere in the world. Mm. And I went and sat at the table and the first half of the day goes by and I'm not relating to any of the speakers. They're talking about finances and health and fitness. And like, those are not options for my life right now. And then the afternoon session comes on and it's a woman who's got alopecia. So she gets up on the stage and she starts talking about how she struggled with feelings of self-worth and self-love. She was bullied through school, dealt with, you know, all these feelings as an adolescent young woman. 
and how hard she struggled, but it was the moment that she found self-love and stopped needing the outside world to validate her that her entire life changed. Mm. As I'm sitting there, I can hear a little voice in the back of my head that says, what about you? Mm. And I'm thinking, yeah, how different could my life have been had I learned to just love myself? Had I not needed someone else to say I was worthy, how different could it have been? Are you thinking this in in past tense at the time? Yes. Mm. Yes. I wasn't thinking like, oh, this is changing my life. I was just like, yeah, if I would have heard this, you know, prior, maybe it would have helped. Mm -hmm. And the next speaker comes on and she starts talking about living with 20 years of mental health struggles and, and depression and how her life changed when she learned to accept her mental illness as part of her life. And love that part of her as well. Instead of fighting against the dark, she embraced it so that she could let the light in as well. Mm. And again, as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, yeah, like how different could my life have been if I could have learned to live with my mental health and not struggled for as long as I've been struggling, you know, 30 years of struggle. And again, I just kind of brush it off. And then the next speaker gets up, last speaker for the day. And it's a gentleman who's talking about his to painkillers and sleeping pills, his alcoholism, how he had been divorced and lost basically access to his children, and how he had struggled with mental health and suicidal ideologies. And how one he had spent the last year trying to find a perfect mix of pain meds and alcohol, so he could look make his suicide look like an accidental overdose, because he sold life insurance and he knew what he had to do. Yeah. And as he's finally finds this perfect mix of, of alcohol and drugs, it happens to be on a night, which never happens where he had overnight access with his kids. And as he was laying on his couch, overdosing with his kids sleeping in the next room, he heard a voice that said, no, not like this, not today. There's more. And he got to his cell phone. He called help. His whole life changed. He got clean and sober. He got into therapy, got counseling. And now he was wandering, not wandering around. He was going around and sharing his story. And as I'm sitting there in the seat, as he's finishing talking, I am thinking to myself, what is going on right now? Like I almost looking around for a hidden camera is what I'm thinking, because it's like, how is it that I'm at an event that I didn't want to go to? And I've just heard three speakers touch on the three areas of my life that I've struggled with the most. And I'm thinking after hearing his story and how he was now sharing his struggles in hopes of giving hope and inspiration to other people, I thought, what if that's why I'm here? What if I'm here to say, you know what, what happened has happened, but I can love myself. I can accept the dark and I can now take all this thing that I could look at as being negative and turn it into a positive by saving someone else from having to go through three decades of struggle. And as I sat there, I was like, it was like a light, you know, they say light bulb moment, light switch. I sat there and I went, I choose to live. And it was that, you know, people think it's, it was just one of those decisions where I went, no, I want to live. Like there's more to life. And it was, I describe it as, finding my purpose. Mm -hmm. And 
I went up to the the event uh, organizer and I said, I'd really like to sit down with you and let you know the the impact this event had on my life because I felt like I owed my life to this woman as well as those other speakers. And I said, you know, I, I sat down with her and I said, I would love to come back next year and share my story. And she was like, absolutely. I would like you to come back. So I came back the next year. I shared my story. And as I was getting ready to get off the stage, I said, the reason I'm sharing my story is because I want to give hope to just one person. Because if I can save just one life, everything that I have gone through, all the struggle, all the heartache, all the pain Mm -hmm. is worth it. And I left the stage and I was getting ready to leave the room. And I had a woman approach me. And she says, you know how you said you wanted to save a life? And I said, yeah. And she said, you did. And she turned and walked away. And I kind of sat there. I get goosebumps every time I tell that story. Yeah. I stood there kind of in shock. But I remember hearing that voice in my head that said, now let's go find one more. <laughs> so for me, every day is about finding one more. It's just reaching out to that person that may need to know that, yeah, you're having a hard time today. I get it. I've been there. But there is hope. Yeah. And that's why I come on and, and try to share my story with as many people as I can. Well, Charlene, I, I got to say, your strength is amazing. And that story is so impactful because when we go through these, these difficult, hard times, we often try and find why, right? Like, why am I going through this? And, uh, and I heard someone else once say that a lot of times the hardships we go through are not for us. It's for what we can give afterwards. It's for other people. And I'm sorry you went through all that, but the work that you're doing in the world is is clearly something that that was purpose driven and passion behind what you do in empowering women. What would you say to someone listening right now who might be going through their own struggle, who might be going through their own hard time, and they might have stumbled across this episode because they're iPod algorithm or their their Spotify just threw this up, not knowing why. And they're why I'm they're like, why am I listening to this? But they've made it this far. Mm. What would you tell them? Hey, well, if you're hearing this and you're listening to it, there is a reason. Mm-hmm. Right. Like just like I was in that space at that time, you're hearing this for a reason. But I think, you know, one thing I tell people, I will never tell anyone that it's going to be okay. Right. Because I don't know. I don't know what what your life holds for you, but I can tell you what it can hold for you. We have this perception in society that our lives, we have to have it all together. Like everything, we have to be happy all the time. Life has to be great. It doesn't. It's okay to have moments where you are falling down that you don't feel like you can pick yourself up. It's okay to not be okay. And whether that's a day, a week, a month, it's okay. Give yourself grace to not be okay. But just know that you can take the steps to be okay that you can rise up out of that darkness that you are living in and embrace the light because the light is there and it wants you to rise up into it. And, you know, I always, you know, say a message when I'm on, you know, doing podcasts that if you ever feel like you're lost and alone and you have no one to talk to, because sometimes people just don't understand what you're going through. And I tell people all the time, find me on social media, find me on Facebook. If you feel like that message me, And I will come sit in the dark with you. It'll be virtually, obviously, but I will come (laughs) sit in the dark with you because I do understand what it's like. Mm -hmm. And I can hold space for you and let you grieve, let you feel the feelings. So just, you know, feel what you're feeling and don't be so hard on yourself. Mm. There's so much power in community where, 
you know, a friend of mine was talking about, he told the story about a firefighter being first to the scene of a car crash. And there was a, a young child in the car crash who unfortunately passed in, in that firefighter's arms. And there was another firefighter on the scene with them. And he was just having a really tough time getting that image out of his head. And he was drinking a lot to try to cope with it. And one day he called his buddy, the other firefighter on the scene, and was like, hey, you want to have a drink? I'm not okay. And they sat down and pretty much was like, hey, I haven't stopped thinking about that night since it happened. And the other firefighter says, you know, I haven't stopped thinking about that night since it happened either. And immediately they both felt better. It didn't solve it. It didn't change it. It didn't erase the image, but what changed was they weren't alone. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they weren't in that thought process, they weren't having a hard time by themselves was just a little bit of comfort to help say, Hey, you know, I'm in here with you. Absolutely. I'm going through this with you. And that little nudge was just the help to make that a little bit better. What keeps you going day in and day out? What gets you going now, pushing forward and really chasing the future? Mm, the knowledge that there's someone out there that was me five years ago. Mm. You know, that's all like when people say, who do you want to reach? I want to reach the me of five years ago. I want to reach the me who didn't feel worthy, who didn't feel like they wanted to be here anymore. I just want to reach out to them. And, you know, I've always wanted to be of service to people. I, you know, even as a child, I wanted to be a reporter. I wanted to share stories and, you know, and put light, shine light on because of, you know, the lack of voice I had as a child. So for me, every time I talk, it is part of my healing journey because it it allows me to have that voice I didn't have as a child and just giving other women the opportunity to have that voice as well as part of their healing. It's just what keeps me going. Yeah. Well, Charlene, I think your, your voice is loud and clear on this podcast episode. And one last question in terms of maybe some resources that folks can find to help them along the way. What were some resources that you found helpful in your healing journey when you started doing that work and getting ready to share your story? I think for me, the speakers that I heard really set me on my my healing journey because it started with self-love. So for me, developing some self-care techniques and habits because when you are in that dark spot, you know, you don't feel like there's anything in your life worth being happy or grateful for. So for me, just starting out a gratitude practice of being able to, to find, you know, like I would start three things in the morning and then three things in the evening so that I would spend my day looking for three things that I was grateful for. Because then when you start looking, you start realizing how much you really have to be grateful for, even if it's just the air that fills your lungs in each breath, being really self-responsible, talking to people, you know, and and taking responsibility for where you're at in your life, not, you know, blaming everything on, on your past. It's like, you know, the choices I made as an adult, I made those choices because I didn't have the tools. So find the tools, whether you're, you know, go online, we have, you know, you have a computer at your fingertips, any tool or technique you need to heal is available to you. There's, you know, books, go to your library, find books that, you know, speak out to you. If you can't afford to go find a book, you're in a financial situation, go to the library. I know libraries nowadays, people are like, what, you know, and I'm like, (laughs) it is an amazing opportunity to go and find whatever it is you need to help you in your, your growth. 
and reach out virtually. If you don't have anybody in person, there are so many support networks and support groups online that cost nothing that can offer you just that ear, that shoulder to, to lean on virtually, you know, so take advantage of the opportunities and the tools that are at your fingertips. If you don't know where to find someone, you know, just reach out. Someone will be able to help you. Just you got to ask for the help. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of reaching out as we come to the end, I want to make sure that our audience and listeners have the opportunity to connect with you and follow you on social media and maybe find some help into finding those resources by connecting with you. How can they do that? You can find me, of course, on all the social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Charlene Madden Speaker. I have a website, charlenemaddenspeaker.com. Uh, so you can reach out to me there. It's a great way to contact and I can, you know, send you some free resources that I have as well, or send you in the right direction of what it is that, that you're looking for. So, yeah, but I'm on all the social media. So I'll be sure to have those links in the show notes too. So uh, speaking of the computer at the fingertips, folks can just open this up in their app, or uh, if they're on the computer listening, they can hit down to head down to the show notes and, and those links will take them straight to your resources. So Charlene. I appreciate you sharing your story wholeheartedly, your, your vulnerability and your strength and your power is, is honestly nothing short of amazing. And I know that our, our listeners are enlightened because of, because of you sharing it today. So thank you so much. And thank you for providing a platform for healing as well. I yeah. mean, I always say you guys send ripples out into the world that you have no idea where those ripples reach, but they are going across this pond as we speak. So yeah, absolutely. And I'll keep keep dropping those raindrops each and every single mm-hmm. time, unintended. So I want to recap some of the things you said along the way in case any of our listeners missed it while listening. Uh, and I know sometimes we're either cleaning or on the move when listening to podcasts. We don't always have a pen and paper ready, much like I do. But one thing you mentioned early on of wanting to belong, I think that's a core need for so many of us, wanting to be loved and belong and, and having the sense of consistency and comfort in life, even if that consistency and comfort might not be a fully functional in this regard, might have a dysfunction to it. We cling on to it because of our familiarity with it. But understanding that, and a lot of these reflections I could tell are these, the reflections were done in hindsight, right? It's, it's kind of looking back and, and understanding more after the emotion has been removed. And one thing you said about you know what I thought I deserved, there's so many times we are so mean to ourselves. We say things to ourselves that we wouldn't say to other people. And we don't treat ourselves with love. And because of that, when things happen, we almost chalk it up as, well, it's just what I deserve. And that's not the case. We need to love ourselves just as much as we love others. And what you would have told yourself, your own love is enough. And learning to accept our, our mental health, accepting who we are with that self-love, it's a way to let the light in. We could be sitting in the dark, but dark is not necessarily, it's the absence of light, which means that the presence of it can still happen, right? It's just, if anything, the dark is something that will hold the light. You just need to let it in. And I wrote a few other notes, but what if this is why I'm here? There's so many of us right now who might be struggling to find the purpose, the passion within our lives, but just know that as long as there's breath in our lungs and we are here, there's impact that we can make on the world. We have importance, we have value, we have love. And just knowing that we are all here for something, even if we haven't found it yet, I'll be transparent and honest. I'm still trying to hone in on what I'm here for, but the pursuit 
of that purpose is also what keeps me excited and keeps me going. So, so many more things, Charlene. Again, I appreciate your story, your vulnerability, and your honesty with this. And to the listeners, please be sure to follow Charlene and her story. If this is something that gave you a lot of value or something you feel like you need to share with somebody, please do so or leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing to continue to serve you guys better at touch on the topics that might be impacting your lives. If you can write a review, leave us a rating. And of course, if you want to support the podcast monetarily, you can join our Patreon page for as little as $1 a month, where you could hear some extra content from our guests like Charlene and others. But I hope this episode found you in a spot where you needed to hear it. I hope it was helpful for you. And as always, we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain. But remember, you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. So let's grow.